It is time for us to begin our midday program here on KRVN. Scott in here with you as we get to a Friday. It's our favorite uh, midday program for sure. <laughs> Scott in here with you along with Jason and Bob Brogan and Susan Littlefield from the Nebraska Cattlemen's Classic. And uh, good morning to you, Susan. Oh, good morning. It's heifer day today. I've heard that. I've heard that. It's all about the girls today. It is. You are listening. It I is was. all about the girls. I was. I was right here. <laughs> I was right here. So very good. Very good. Well, uh, what's going on for you today? Well, we are going to kick it all off at 1219. We're going to talk a little weather with Al Dutcher. And, of course, they're talking some warmth moving our way. So I'm going to hold him to that as Shaley will be bringing you that report. And then at 1245, you are not going to want to miss this because, unfortunately, we've seen a lot in social media lately about grain entrapment. And Bryce is going to be bringing in somebody who, in 2018, there were 30 documented grain entrapment cases. Half of those resulted in a fatality. So he's going to be talking with somebody who has personally affected by and is now an advocate for when it comes to grain bin safety. And then wrapping it all up at 117, this is an exciting interview. Shaley Peters talks with Braden Schulte. He's an FFA member here in Kearney. He showed up in Nebraska Cattlemen's Classic, but unique, he showed an official dress because of his pride for FFA. She sits down and has a great conversation with him. And that will wrap it up for a Friday from the farm team. All right. Very good. Thank you so much. We'll talk to no you No problem. Later. Thank you. Yep. All right. Bye. Here is Jason Jorgensen and the State Wrestling Meet got going. You were right. Uh, you are the Nostradamus. You talked about them making a big deal about the Hoybergs last night. And then uh, Tom Izzo made it even bigger by starting the youngest Hoybergs. How cool is that? It really was. Now, he could afford to do that because he knew he was going to win. Right. But still, I got out of doing the Loper game, and I was driving home listening to the uh, post-mortem with Kemp Pavelka and uh, Fred Hoiberg. And when I heard them say that, I thought, how cool. Yeah. 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 It, the way it sounded like Hoiberg realized yeah. it was he, he saw the starting line and he goes, Wait. <laughs> You know, sometimes it's cool when people put family above yep. the sport and the competition. So I've always thought a lot of Tom Izzo yeah. anyway, but that, that's a nice gesture there. Then he turned around and spanked, <laughs> you know, Hoiberg by 21 points, but there you go. <laughs> so uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. The Husker baseball team, they're out on the West Coast. I have not looked to see what the weather is like that. I suppose we could uh, call up our, our correspondent, Carly, who works there, who's actually out there to watch the Huskers. Yeah, she, she could it, give us a report. Uh, just uh, just literally seconds ago, she sent me a picture. So it looks like you, it's You think quite, they'll play tonight it, at 8? Yeah, I think they'll be able to play uh, it. All right. Uh, we will have the game tonight uh, here at 8. In fact, we'll have all three of the weekend games this weekend right here on 880 KRVN. Do you, do you remember what I taught you and what the the mascot for the University of San Diego is? Can you pull that out? I've been dealing with a lot of information this month, Scott, so why don't you refresh me? <laughs> the Toreros. Okay. Yeah, whatever they are. I think they're bullfighters or something like that. All right, speaking of bullfighters, there's Bob Brogan. And that's no bulls. <laughs> Stocks are tumbling in morning trading on Wall Street as cases of the new virus swelled in South Korea. Also, home sales retreated 1.3% in January from December. And for the Oracle of Omaha, he will be putting out his annual letter to Berkshire Hathaway shareholders this Saturday. And that it's other no other than Warren Buffett. And lots of folks like to get that, and they're looking forward to it. All right. Very good. That's all coming up on Midday. 
11.44, time for us to check in on our weather and see how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. And uh, Paul Perkins is on location today at the Nebraska Cattlemen's Classic. And what do you got? How's it going there, Paul? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Scott. Um, they just started talking over the PA here, so <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Hopefully, you timing. can hear me loud and clear. We got. But to. right now, uh, looking at some very ideal conditions across the area. That big ridge of high pressure is starting to build across the central and eastern U.S. That's going to leave us with lots of sunshine for both today and tomorrow with that ridge of high pressure across the plains. Southwest winds on the breezy side today, especially across central and east areas of Nebraska and Kansas. That's all thanks to sitting between a trough of low pressure approaching from the northwest and also some high pressure to our southeast. Temperatures today about 5 to 10 degrees, milder than normal, but tomorrow even warmer on those temperatures, about 15 degrees warmer than normal. Now, rain is possible as we head towards Sunday through Sunday night. Mainly a rain event expected with this next system as we head towards Sunday and Sunday night. Could see some lingering chances on into Monday with an area of low pressure that tracks right along the Kansas-Oklahoma border. Towards northwest Kansas and northeastern areas of Colorado, we may see some of that precipitation start to follow some wet, heavy snow. Looks like the best chances with this system for any precipitation going to be across Kansas into southern Nebraska with some lesser chances as you go towards the north. And once again, that snow potential could be mixing in with this system as it gets cold enough on Sunday night, especially over northwest Kansas and northeast Colorado. A few rounds of snow are possible with another system. Could be mixed with some rain on this one, so mainly a snow event on an early week system coming up next week, Monday night through Tuesday night, with an area of low pressure that will track southeast out of the northwest. Still a little too early to tell on snow accumulations, but right now the potential is there for a few inches of snow with that system. Tuesday and Wednesday definitely going to feel much colder with highs in the 30s and some steady north winds right around 20 with some higher gusts, especially on Tuesday. Temperatures back to more seasonal levels as we head towards Thursday. In our long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures are likely to be colder than normal. Wednesday through the first four days of the next month in March, the low normal precipitation is likely for Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the U.S. the late half of next week. But precipitation chances in Nebraska and Kansas do tick up to slightly above normal levels by next weekend through March 5th. On the plains, chilly conditions are lingering, especially across the southern half of the plains. Key winter wheat production areas have mostly a patchy, shallow snow cover right now, but weather conditions for overwintering wheat remain generally favorable. In the Corn Belt, temperatures have begun to moderate, but remain mostly at or near below levels. Dry weather prevails throughout the Midwest, but a substantial snow cover still in place from the eastern Dakotas on into Michigan. Pacific storm responsible for rain in the southwest U.S. will cross the mid-Mississippi Valley by Monday. The complex storm will also intensify by the middle of next week across parts of the Midwest and Northeast. Five-day precipitation totals could reach about one to two inches in a broad area from Southern California to the lower Great Lakes. Now, some of that precipitation will fall as snow across parts of the Midwest. A significant warming trend will begin late in the weekend and early next week east of the Mississippi River by but a new surge of cold air expected to engulf the Rockies and the Plains. That's a check of your ag weather from the Nebraska Cattlemen's Classic in Kearney. We're at the Buffalo County Fairgrounds. Make sure you stop by the KRVM booth. We'll get you registered to win a $600 go light. I'll send it back to you, Scott. Thanks. All right. Thank you so much, Paul. I appreciate it.
It's time again this week. We get to visit with Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher. I'm Shaley Peters on the Rural Radio Network. Al, uh, some snow falling across parts of the state. Short-lived, though, as we head into the weekend looking to be warmer. Will that hang with us throughout the weekend and into the next week? Well, I think for at least for the first half of the weekend, we're in pretty good shape. Uh, we're going to see that return flow starting to set up today and temperatures moving back up to normal, to above normal, depending on where you are in the state. But widespread 40s and probably 50s will be the, the call of the day for the western part of the state, uh, a little cooler up in the northeast part. But more importantly, we'll see much warmer conditions tomorrow. We'll deal with some wind, but it looks like we're going to see widespread 50s and probably going to see some 60s in the typically warmer areas of the state southwest and maybe the southern panhandle. But then we have that system, that uh, upper air low that's moving out of the desert southwest. And right now, the big question is how much of a turn toward the northeast will it make and how big of an impact will that have on Nebraska? But right now, at least from the GFS model standpoint, it brings that low into southern Kansas as we get into uh, the afternoon of Saturday or Sunday, excuse me, and it starts to lift that moisture up into southern Nebraska. It appears right now the temperatures will be warm enough for it to be all rain. As we go to the overnight hours, it could change over to snow. There has been some backing off in terms of the temperatures, and I think that we won't see nearly as much snow as previously forecasted, but a couple inches may not be out of the question. And then that drives itself as it goes into the central and eastern Corn Belt with a very widespread uh, precipitation pattern and heavy moisture. A northern stream will be coming through the state to help reinforce colder on the backside of this departing low, and that may generate some snowfall or snow shower activity off and on, maybe all the way through Wednesday morning before we start to get into a drier pattern. And the ridging pattern looks like it's going to return in the western United States and build in late next week and into much of the first full week of March. So we see well above normal temperatures as it does indeed play out. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago about these warmer temperatures coming in, kind of backed off this last week with the models, with the systems coming through. But it just pushed the basically that warmer trend just a few more days down the road, but it does look consistent and it does look to be a little bit warmer. The one thing I would draw your attention to and to watch out for is it does appear that some more energy will move into the southwest as we get into the first full weekend uh, or first full week of March. And some of that will probably start to eject out as we get into uh, the second week of March, which would mean a much wetter pattern if those systems move to the northeast. If they move straight eastward, We'll probably just catch a glancing blow across southern Nebraska and remain high and dry. The one thing I would draw your attention to, and from the January release, showing that the cooling trend in the equatorial Pacific is proceeding at a faster rate than it was with the models released in January. And basically what it's saying is the crossover toward cooler conditions in the cold side of the equatorial Pacific looks like it, instead of occurring in the January forecast in the July, August, September period, it's kind of been moved up into the June uh, July, August to the May, June, July period. And if this trend continues, then we're most likely going to see a La Nina development before the summer's over with and a full La Nina as quantified by CPC as we go into the fall. Typically, we look at drier and warmer conditions, particularly the second half of the summer and then through the fall period across the Western Corn Belt. So we'll pay attention rather closely to these storms coming into the Southwest over this next four to six week period to see whether or not they can give enough snowfall to the southern Rocky Mountains to keep the drought at bay at least through the first half of the growing season so that we don't see that starting to expand eastward and possibly northward during the heart of the growing season. 
Thanks so much. Nebraska Extension Agricultural Climatologist Al Dutcher, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It is time for us to take a look at sports. Jason Jorgensen in here on a Friday and uh, the state wrestling tournament got its first day in and now that's really hitting the, hitting the mats hard today. Yeah, wrestlebacks this morning and classes B and C, those will continue this afternoon in A and D. In class A, before the wrestlebacks, Millard South had the lead while Carney was in second place with 57 points. In class B, Hastings was expected to be in contention for this thing. They have 74 points. Scott has jumped up to second with 50. In Class C, a whole lot of David City here. David City leads with 67. Aquinas Catholic had scored 54. And in Class D, Plainview leads the way with 60. Mullen with 43. So those wrestlebacks continue this afternoon. Then tonight, they'll have the consolation semifinals and also the irregular semifinals. So a lot will be... Uh, going on in Omaha. Busy day and that place is packed too. It, it's a, it's the weirdest thing to be down there because you don't hear the crowd at, all at once. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they're not all cheering for the same thing. You've got sections cheering. Yeah. It's really an interesting experience. Well, the Nebraska band lost their 11th in a row last night at home following New Michigan State 86-65. to They were in it early. Uh, they were down 39-36 at the break, but then they showed up after half and shot just 28%. They were doomed and that one Deshaun Burke led the way he had 18 of his 21 in the first half you have to ask yourself a question here will Nebraska win another basketball game you know all year they've they've yeah. surprised you and won one that they don't maybe either they find one more they scrape out a win against somebody and I don't know Monday night they're on the road at Illinois Sophomores Brooke Carlson and Claire Kirsch combined for 38 points to help UNK pull away from Northeastern State, 82-64. With that victory, and then from some help from Newman, the Lopers are now in sole possession of second place in the conference standings, 24-3 overall, 13-3 in league play. The Loper men, they fell last night to Northeastern State, losing that one 75-64. It's the final home game of the season tomorrow for the Lopers. Women at 2, men at 4. We will bring you those games over on 93.1 The River. Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy has withdrawn his name from consideration for the Colorado head coaching job. His decision was first reported by Nine News out of Denver. That follows the same decision made by Alabama offensive coordinator Steve Sarkeesian. So you have to ask yourself who eventually will end up as the head coach of the Colorado Buffaloes. Thank mm. you very much, Mel Tucker. Okay. <laughs> we didn't even know you. <laughs> and the Husker baseball team there out in California. They play San Diego tonight at 8. We'll bring you that game right here on 880 KRVN. Coverage along the Husker Sports Network at 730. Hopefully the West Coast is kind for the Huskers. They could, yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. Need we'll to pitch see. a little better than they did last week in Texas, but it's it's early. It is early, so we'll see. All right. Thanks, That's sir. That's all I got. That's all you got. Yeah. All right. Talk to you later. Federal experts confirm that 11 of 13 people evacuated to an Omaha hospital from a cruise ship in Japan have tested positive for the coronavirus. The University of Nebraska Medical Center announced that the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention had verified test results completed by the Nebraska Public Health Lab. Ten of those people are being cared for at the National Quarantine Unit, while three are in the nearby Nebraska Biocontainment Unit. The medical center said only a few of the patients were showing symptoms of the disease. 
All 13 people were passengers of the Diamond Princess cruise ship who were evacuated to the U.S. on February 17th. Meanwhile, 57 Americans who were held in quarantine at the Nebraska National Guard camp at Ashland left yesterday. Speaking to reporters, the CDC team leader at Camp Ashland, Dr. Eric Kosowski, says doctors are confident the 57 people are fully healthy. The 14 days is is well outside the the average incubation period. So um, we think the incubation period is somewhere around uh, five to six days. So well, we're clearly two incubation periods beyond that. Kosowski says that people being released from quarantine should be regarded as patriots. These Americans have uh, have done their duty 14 days uh, and uh, and they're, they're getting to go back to their families. A driver has been killed in a collision on U.S. Highway 75 in southeast Nebraska. It occurred around 6.40 Wednesday morning near the Nemaha County-Richardson County line. Authorities say a northbound pickup truck pulling a trailer crossed the center line and struck a southbound pickup, killing its driver. The dead man has been identified as 69-year-old Robert Hansen, who lived in Lincoln, the other driver taken to Nemaha County Hospital for treatment of a minor injury. A top Republican Kansas lawmaker who's running for U.S. Senate sought an ambassadorship in 2018. Kansas Senate President Susan Wagle of Wichita says it was an excellent time to leave state politics and enlisted help from billionaire casino mogul Phil Ruffin. He is a close friend of President Donald Trump and Wagle listed him as a reference on a resume for the White House only 10 days after voting for a bill that would have benefited Ruffin's business interests in Kansas. Wagle was interested in serving in posts that included ambassador to Ireland. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. On the last Rural Radio Forum, brought to you by AgWest Commodities. In areas like Kentucky, in some of those rural areas where there's lots of mining and there's a high rate of injury is, is where this exploded. So doctors were prescribing a lot of this. And, you know, whenever you have an industry where a lot of money is to be made, a lot of money got made on prescribing this medication. We created a coalition three years ago. It was based upon three principles, looking at what we could do to prevent opioid addictions, what we could do to properly treat opioid addictions, and then how law enforcement could work through that. The stigma is everywhere, you know, that somebody who uses a junkie or an addict, and, and it's a choice. But in rural locations, it's much more powerful because somebody growing up a small town, everybody knows everything. And opening up the important channels of what you need to do to go get help is so important. And one of the only ways to overcome that is compassion and love, because we know that's unbelievably healing. The Opiate Crisis. Listen to the podcast at RuralRadio.com. In 2018, there were nearly 30 documented grain entrapment cases. Half of those resulted in a fatality. To help draw awareness to the tragedies that continue to happen across the country, U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Sonny Perdue has issued a proclamation naming this week as Grain Bin Safety Week. Today, we'll hear the story of someone who was personally affected by an entrapment and now advocates for grain bin safety. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Stuskip reporting. In 2008, Kadrian Livingston of Orchard, Nebraska, was just 10 years old. My story starts out um, April 29, 2008. She describes that morning starting out like most others. She was off to school while her two little sisters, just 18 months and two weeks old, were at home. My mom and dad, they had a ranch. We had about 200 head of registered Galvian Angus cattle. 
at the time. And um, we, you know, we were a ranch family, and my dad had just gotten into farming just a couple years before that. As the school bus arrived, Kadrian left for school, but not without hearing from her father first. He yelled out, um, goodbye, you know, I'll, I'll see you tonight. She didn't know then, but those were the last words she would hear from her father. When she got home from school, she found her neighbors at her home. I asked, you know, where's where's my mom and dad? And um, they had told me <clears throat> that my dad had um, been in a grain bin accident. Kadrian says there was an air pocket in the corn, and her father went in the bin with a grain vac. The Page Rescue Team, they were only about 10 minutes away, not, not far away at all. But the problem was that they didn't have the proper safety equipment or the proper training in that kind of a situation to get him out in a timely manner. And so my dad just frankly ran out of time. Kadrian, now a college graduate in the workforce, uses that tragedy to find her passion. She now spends her time... Really trying to help farmers and ranchers understand the dangers that are presented um, in their kind of industry. Uh, Farmers and ranchers are actually 800% more likely to die on the job than the average American worker. 800%. And when you look at that statistic, it's it's kind of shocking and and you don't really necessarily believe it right away. But the problem is, is farmers and ranchers don't understand the kind of risks that are associated with their job. And they don't know um, how to how to counteract those those risks. And so a lot of times they they think on their feet and, and they just, you know, they need to get the job done because they don't have enough hours in the day as it is. And so a lot of times they'll walk into a grain bin without even knowing the dangers that are associated with that. And so it's really important to me to share my story and and share with others how grain bin safety works and and what you can do to not have this kind of a tragic story happen to your own family. She says she's been able to find her strength through God to help share her story with the hope that it will make a difference for someone else. My dad, he laid a huge foundation of faith um, in me ever since I was little and that day that day he he died he actually he was reading me the daily devotional um, before I before I left for school that day and and so God he gives me the strength to to share my story and I know that that is something that my dad would also want me to do because um, you know he was a rancher he was not a farmer and and that part is important to me because he did not know the dangers that were associated with, with that particular job that he was doing that day. And if had he known those dangers, I guarantee you he would not have gone in the grain bin. He would have found a different way to do it. And so, you know, um, telling my story to him is important because I know that he wouldn't want that to happen to anybody else. And I don't want that to happen to anybody else. Adrian goes beyond sharing her story hosting events to draw awareness to the dangers on the farm. I do grain bin safety training for kids. Um, I do it for adults, um, you know, and I really I really am trying to, to get into this industry and, and really look hard at it and, and, and help the industry in any way I can. As for the ranch, Kadrian and her mom continue to operate it. My sisters continue to grow up on the ranch and help out in any way that they can. And so that has really been an important part of the story as well because you know, my dad My dad passed away at, at kind of a, a bad time, I guess, if you could say, because uh, the ranch had finally gotten to right where we wanted it to be. Genetics-wise, we saw the private treaty, and, and so we really had gotten it uh, to the place where we wanted it to be. And, 
and then he passed away. And my and my mom, she had a very important decision to make that week, and and that decision was whether to pack up and and move to town and get a grocery store job, or have grit and determination and resiliency, and and sit down and do the hard work and and continue the legacy that the 88 Ranch had become. And and we made that decision together, and that's what we really did. We decided to continue the ranch's legacy. My mom, she is she's a rock. She is the strongest woman I know, and she has continued to be able to do the ranch duties all by herself. Uh, we we don't have help. It's it's just us four girls, and we call it ourselves the gals of the 88 Ranch, and and we've done very very well. Um, for the situation that we've been handed, and, and God has really blessed us beyond measure. There are numerous online resources to learn more about grain bin safety. If you're interested in helping equip your local fire department with a grain rescue tube and training, there's a contest through Nationwide Insurance. Visit Nationwide.com to learn how you can help train first responders to save lives. Our thanks to Kadrian Livingston for sharing her personal story of a tragedy that can be stopped. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Uh. Time for our business report here on Caribbean on our midday. Stocks taking it in the teeth right now. Uh, we just pretty much everywhere is still some concerns, I suppose, for coronavirus and those kinds of things and how that affects transport. You know, you don't really think about that. You don't think about people maybe not ordering from Amazon as much because they're afraid of uh, what they might catch. So uh, stocks are curious about that too. In the overnight, the Asian markets, the Japanese Nikkei was down 92. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong was down 289. The London FTSE was down 32, and the German DAX index was down 84. As we move across the pond, the 10-year yield down nearly four percentage points right now here in the United States. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is down almost a percentage point, 286. NASDAQ down two percentage points at 201. And uh, the S&P is down a percentage and a half at 43. These are some uh, pretty low numbers right now, Bob Rogan. Yes, they are. The uh, stocks... uh kind of going ka-chink, ka-chink, or actually going the other way, um, going downhill. Um, and bond prices rose as investors were concerned about more signs that that viral outbreak was spreading and a report showing a sudden weakening in U.S. business activity. Renewed, renewed anxiety over the global spread of the coronavirus also pushed stocks lower and knocked them off the record highs yesterday in what has been a volatile holiday-shortened week. Indexes are on track for their first weekly loss after two weeks of gains. U.S. home sales retreated 1.3% in January from the prior month, but low mortgage rates helped enable an increase in purchases from a year ago. The National Association of Realtors saying today that sales of existing homes slipped last month to a seasonally adjusted annual rate of $5.46 million. But really, who wants to look for a house in January? Not me, That w- that's for sure. Uh, China has suspended some more penalties on U.S. goods after that trade truce. They uh, suspended more punitive tariffs on imports of U.S. industrial goods in response to the truce in its trade war with Washington that threatened global economic growth. 
financial markets have welcomed announcements by both sides of reductions in penalties on each other's goods, though they have yet to resolve much of the conflict that erupted in 2018 over Beijing's technology ambitions and trade surplus. Investor Warren Buffett's annual letter to Berkshire Hathaway shareholders is always well-read because of his successful track record, and uh, that's going out on Saturday, so lots of folks will be uh, waiting for that. He's always got a little bit of humor in there, and he explains things in pretty simple terms, like, for example, I don't invest in things I don't understand. Well, that's a, that's a pretty good plan there. I, I don't imagine the letter will be printed by any of the newspapers he no longer owns, however. Right. Uh, <laughs> he got out know, of that. Yeah, they, people have asked him about Bitcoin and all this mm-hmm. and that and yes. derivatives and stuff. He, he kind of understands derivatives, but he doesn't like those either. Hmm. It's a pretty good plan. All right. Very good. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate all the information, and uh, we will uh, use it to our best of our ability. This is Vice Chancellor Mike Bain. I'd like to invite you to hear the latest news from the Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources by tuning into the weekly IANR update. Listen to the program each Saturday at 9:30 right here on 880KRVN. on with our discussion surrounding Nebraska extensions on Farm Research Program. I'm Shaley Peters joining you on the Rural Radio Network and we continue our discussion with Jenny Reese. She's a Nebraska Extension Educator. Of course, we talked about in that first part, Jenny, the meetings officially kick off this week. A lot of great information to share from this past growing season. Let's shift now to talking, though, more about the program itself and some of the opportunities uh, you guys offer with it. Tell us just more about the program in general? Yeah, so on-farm research has been actually occurring for over three decades at this point within Nebraska, and it's not something that growers have to, it's not something that they pay an entry fee for or even apply for. It's just something where our growers are attending a lot of different meetings this time of year, and they're reading things about different products and production practices, and may wonder, will this work on my own farm? And that's where on-farm research can can play a role for the growers to test this in a scientifically valid way on their own farms. So how it works is if a grower is interested in trying something, they can contact their local extension office and um, the local ag extension educator can work with that grower to design a study that fits his or her um, basically goals and objectives, as well as their equipment. Because we try really hard to make these practical because if they're not practical and they're not easy to do, then nobody's gonna follow through with them. So we wanna make sure that we're getting valid data, but also in a way that it's easy for the growers to do. And then from there, um, it's just a matter of the growers following the protocol that we set out the extension educators and specialists work with them on data collection. And then at the end of the year, we help them understand the results, share the results with everybody then um, via various meetings and via um, our website, all the 
studies are posted on our on-farm research website too. Now, I know some of this warmer weather, recent warmer weather, has my producer itching to get back in the field, certainly, and I think a lot of guys ready to get back in the field, thinking about 2020. And on that note, Jenny, it's not too late. If they have something in mind for this next growing season, not too late to reach out to you guys and start their own project. Oh, absolutely. It's never too late. And actually, Shaylee, sometimes the growing season even presents opportunities for unfirm research, too. So... Um, if they're interested in trying something out, they can certainly contact us now. It doesn't take long at all to put something together with them and um, get that back to them. But even, you know, just because we give them a protocol, it, it's not like they absolutely have to. If something changes for them in the spring, then they don't have to do that study. You know, it, at the end of the day, it's up to them. But in season, like we've had situations where hailstorms have happened and guys wondered about if they should replant or not. And so that becomes an opportunity for on-farm research or even like last year with prevent plant acres. Some guys wanted to try even some different mixes, cover crops or something like that. So there's a lot of different opportunities for growers. Okay, thanks so much. It's Jenny Reese, Nebraska Extension Educator, talking more about their on-farm research program. If you happen to miss her first segment, talking about the meetings coming up and where you can find them, you can visit RuralRadio.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Play Patton on the Rural Radio Network. We take a closer look at the grain settlements here with John Payne of Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. John, fairly risk off here in the ag commodity sector today. Is this stemming from a tweet from the president and the possibility of another round of trade aid? <laughs> I, I, you know, this is options expiration day. I think the, uh, the balance sheets this morning from the USDA are what got the market a little bit fearful, especially on the corn side. But you have delivery approaching, and this is when producers have to sell. So, not saying have to sell, but this is a date. You're gonna you're gonna see over the next week. I bet dollars the donuts were lower. Uh, just betting that you know producers who have need money are gonna want to sell it, and they're looking at these new crop prices starting to tumble a little bit. And I think you're gonna see a throwing in the towel. This is usually when that happens, and so my advice would be to buy it. Not saying next week, but maybe the back end of next week, early part of the week after. If you see that May contract or even September would be down on corn closer to 375, I think that's that's a substantial place to, to jump in and own it. Whether you're buying a $4 call for a dime or you're going to buy the futures outright, I just think there's a long way to go with the marketing year ahead of us. And a lot of this stuff that's bearish is known. So uh, the MFP payment would be probably bullish if we get it, um, and I think you will. But I don't see how he substantiates it with corn given that they don't buy any corn from us anyway, and the farmers are the reason why this corn price is going down, both from an acreage standpoint and from a production standpoint via yield. Those numbers are continuing to rise, and we just don't have the offsetting factor of demand. And I don't know where that comes from if we're not going to sell them ethanol or DDGs or something. It's just it's a head-scratcher at this point to see how, how the market's going to get out of this without lower acreage. As exactly, we see that higher acreage and and bigger yields coming out from USDA. It looks like the wheat market though getting a little bit as they do see a slight decrease there. Do we just need a weather story to develop for the wheat? Well, so the wheat you have to remember with that with that report this morning. Really, they're talking about wheat for the following July, not this wheat that's in the ground. They're talking about the wheat for next year. So the ag form this you know we've got a bullish story that can develop right now. The yield is already factored in at a very high level, and if it doesn't come in that way, I think wheat has has a good upside to it. 
specifically the Chicago side that, you know, they didn't get a lot of planted either. So I think wheat, from a bullish standpoint, that's something that we should kind of hang our hats on from the corn side is that feed is going to be needed to be supplied by corn in the next two years. There just isn't going to be enough uh, wheat around to substantiate it. So that's a good sign. The bad sign, in my opinion, is exports on, on the corn uh, offsetting by lower bean prices because there's really nowhere else to go. With bean prices trading at where we're at 915 right now, there just isn't enough substitution. We need to find another crop to grow. Find more at danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, trading futures and options involves risk of loss. It may not be suitable for all investors. That'll do it for our midday program today on this Friday in KRVN. To hear today's midday program in its entirety, go to podcasts at krvn.com. Sponsored by Davini Motors. Howdy, folks. This is Rick from Davini Chrysler Jeep Dodge Ram and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hardworking, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DaviniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Davini deal.